Welcome to Episode 2, Season 1 of the Everyday Crazy Podcast. It's a weekly podcast delivered every Wednesday focused on satire, comedy, current events, and tilted worldview. I am your host, LB Faust, cultural attaché of the stars and ringmaster of the shit show. On this second podcast of the first season, Handcrafted, Single Origin, Health Halos, and the bullshit euphemisms of modern marketing merging with the Craft Everything movement. I assure you, our artisan single-source sommeliers are connoisseurs of bullshit and have created the finest euphemistic craft flim-flam for this episode. Everyday Crazy is a weekly podcast with new content every Wednesday focused on satire, comedy, tilted worldview, personal experience, and stream of consciousness with your host, L.P. Faust. Welcome to the Everyday Crazy Podcast. I am your host, L.P. Faust. The craft movement. I mean, the craft movement that has suddenly swept over everything, somehow we are going to create some bullshit euphemistic labels and mark things up like, I don't know, 15, 20. I like money. Yeah, you know, mark them up 15, 20%. No problem, man. There's no distinct difference between the two. But, you know, why not just go ahead and create something to create a brand experience? I mean, it's very similar to a bowel movement and all of that sort of stuff. I, you know, how dare you? It involves a tremendous release of uh, of uh, product, and uh, each has its own distinct aromas and flavors. I would imagine the reality of the situation is I don't really kind of get it, right? And you know, when I think of like craft movements, two distinct things pop up: beer, the craft beer movement, which you know it's debatable. There are some good beers, and there are some <laughs> some more questionable craft beers, if you will. And coffee. Because, I mean, coffee is like, uh, if anything defines that craft movement, let me tell you something. It is the freaking coffee. That is for sure. And I can remember a time when, uh, you know, there was a world before this craft and, air quotes, single source origin, air quotes, and other euphemistic bullshit brand labeling came around. Like, for instance, with coffee. There was a general understanding at that time that you never drank coffee for the terroir or because it was fair trade. I mean, if we're honest, really, terroir is just code for refining your palate to differentiate between varying flavors of ass, right? I mean, that's really <laughs> what terroir is. It's like, mm, wow, that's like a spicy ass, and uh, that one's just kind of like, ooh, tastes like a penny. That's really what that is. And I mean, during that period of time with coffee specifically when I was a kid, it was just a dark, bitter water brewed from the tears of hopelessness, wasted time, and regret. It was a secret sauce to unlock what we were really after with the coffee. Caffeine. Because the caffeine is the last hope of humanity, and it's the great equalizer for adults with kids, right? I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Because we weren't sitting there going, hmm, this has got an herbaceous flavor of some sort of, like, ass out of, like, Tanzania. No. We didn't care, right? What we cared about, really, more How than... How dare you? I know I'm insensitive. What we really cared about was just getting that freaking jump and i mean this whole concept of fair trade like hey let's mark something up and like pretend like we're giving some freaking money to some farmers over in like zambibia somewhere wherever it is when in reality it's like we're basically <laughs> we're basically borrowing the fucking blood diamond slave labor to go get some coffee ultimately paying a premium on that slave labor in order to get a really delicious you? yeah i know cup of coffee and i mean what's interesting is this whole fair trade 
<laughs> fair trade thing. Well, I'm all about, hey, listen, I'd love to get working conditions better in all these different parts of the world. Can we be honest? Do we really believe for a second? Hey, Carlos, do you think this fair trade shit really? No, no, no. Yeah, I don't think so either. But when I was a kid, it was never about that. We actually probably didn't give a shit about the fact that they were using the blood diamond slaves to go and pick coffee beans, you know, on when they're when they're busy not mining diamonds and shit. Because it was about keeping shit as cheap as possible. And there were only like three brands in the market, right? It was like Folgers, Chock Full of Nuts, and Maxwell House. Outside of that, man, were there any other fucking coffee flavors? No, no, no! No, man, and they didn't give a shit about, yes, unripened beans and blah, blah, blah. No, fuck that, man. You got green beans, just grind them with some of that black shit over there, and you know what? Boom! Coffee! That's how it worked. And it was a kind of interesting thing. I mean, you know, coffee, it just sort of brought me, when I think of this craft stuff, in coffee in particular... I actually wound up writing an article about coffee houses and stuff like that because of how much coffee kind of, I don't know, did something for me when I was a kid. I know, you drank coffee when you were a kid, LP. Did you do any of that sort of stuff? I mean, that's irresponsible parenting. No, No, I did not drink coffee as a kid. Well, sort of. I'll tell you what, let's go into this, right? So I came from an Irish Catholic family. After church every Sunday, man, after you've been shamed and guilted into what a terrible human being that you are, we won't get into a theology lesson, will we, Carlos? Because that would be a very bad idea. I'm just saying, we went over and had our Sunday lunch, right? So it was always either going to somebody's house or something like that. On one particular occasion, and it's sort of like this defining moment of when I remember coffee in particular. Mind you, not craft coffee. Are we talking about that craft coffee nonsense, Carlos? Are we talking about... Yeah, no. This is back before this craft movement bullshit happened. And I can remember this very, very clearly. My dad decided at one point, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Let me take you over to this place called the Donut Shop that's over on Bird Road. It was like right around the corner from uh, from church and all of that sort of stuff. We jump into the car and he takes us over to this place. Now, the coolest thing about this shit is it was something straight up mugged out of like Back to the Future. It had It was like that 50s Art Deco coffee shop with the pink and the blue tiles the long counters like a diabetic coma waiting for you behind the counter it was just like this wonderful temple to type 2 diabetes and i remember opening that you know <laughs> type 2 diabetes bro, yeah. and i remember when the door was opened the smell of sugar and spice and coffee just hit me in the face It was like the gates of heaven opened up after I'd gone through penance. And it was just amazing. I was waiting for the chorus of angels to greet me and all that stuff. But what I would never forget is that that aroma of coffee. And I was thinking, whatever that smell is, and mind you, (laughs) this was like one of the three that we mentioned earlier because uh, did we do any of this fair trade bullshit at that time? Absolutely not. At any rate, the Folgers or whatever that was going over there, it had this intoxicating aroma. And I was just like, wow, this stuff has got to be fucking fantastic. I thought it would be like the nectar of the gods. I didn't get coffee for a while, right? Fast forward a few years. I'm probably in my preteens. I'm sitting at the corner of a counter over in the Hojo. Now, for those of you who have no fucking clue what I'm talking about, Howard Johnson's, aside from being a really shitty motel, I think the, the modern-day equivalent is like the Motel 6 or something where they bolt everything down. This was, you know, like a, a holdover from the wonderful days of the automobile, you know, of the wonderful road out there that we as Americans were encouraged to explore with our vehicles and fall in love with the road and all that shit. Of course, all they were giving you is a place to put your head down. Now, Hojo Howard Johnson's wasn't just a motel. 
They also had a fantastic little greasy spoon that was attached to the hotel. This particular greasy spoon was like, I don't know, a competitor of Denny's or IHOP. Why would they want you to come over and stay over in their hotel and go to some shitty diner down the street when you could just patronize their shitty diner inside of their hotel, right? I mean, hey, after all, this is... (laughs) And so do they. And I get it. But I digress. So I'm sitting over at the end of this particular counter over here, right? And for some reason or other, you know, I was there with all of my family and all that stuff. So me and my cousin are at the end of the counter unsupervised. Is that a good idea, Carlos? No, no, no. Absolutely not. For some reason, we're allowed to sit there. And I remember smelling that coffee again. And I just had, I don't know, like scrambled eggs or some shit like that. I'm sure it was like the the American heart attack special with cholesterol as high as you could possibly get. Because if we're not doing heart disease right over here, let me tell you something. I don't know what on earth, how we could even look ourselves in the mirror and call ourselves Americans. That being said, so I was a preteen. I'm sitting there. I'm smelling that coffee. And out of jest, I'm seeing the, the waitress walking behind the counter back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I think I want a coffee. And I just kind of giggled and laughed. Next thing I knew... Bang! Right there, mug dropped on my right in front of me. And she just grabs the coffee and pours it there. And I'm like, I I wasn't serious. And she's like, well, you ordered it. Here you go. And I look over and I see the disapproving glare of my father. And I'm just like, well, I guess whatever. When when in Rome, let me give it a shot. And I'm like thinking, my dad tells me, you know, and just kind of like as a side story to the side story to the side story. Could you get to the point, LP? Yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. Hold on a moment. Side story. So my dad, years back... He was talking to me about all the shitty jobs he had to have when he was going to college. So when he was paying for college and uh, he had to have like three jobs or whatever, one of them was kind of as a soda jerk over at a, uh, a pharmacy because he lived during that era. And so he was talking to me about, you know, coming into that particular job. It was rough because he'd been at school all day or done whatever or worked at one of his other two jobs. He needed coffee just to keep going. Well, the owner of the place said, you can go ahead and drink all the coffee that you want, but the cream and the sugar is for the paying customers. So my dad always drank coffee black, and I'm thinking to myself, shit, man, when when I've got this cup of joe sitting over in the Hojo Diner, it's black and it's like, you know, this bittery death, I guess, over there, but it smells so wonderful. I'm like, dude, this stuff has got to taste like ambrosia. So I picked this up, and I drank my first swig of coffee, and I was just uh, looking at this thing, you know, drinking the coffee, going, oh my god, it tasted like absolute dog shit. I would say that the terroir probably was dirty ass of a dachshund hound, or something like that. That would be the terroir of this particular brand of coffee, which I don't know which one of the three it was, but whatever it was, they made sure to get the shittiest of the shitty. That is for absolutely certain. Do we know that? I mean, I'm just... Did I make myself Uh clear? That's right. Because I am not going to write this shit down. So imagine, that's what it was. And this was life before the craft coffee movement came to play, or just the craft movement in general. And then Starbucks came around. Thankfully, my father wasn't around for Starbucks. I don't think he could have managed to wrap his head around. Why in the fuck are you sitting there paying that much for a cup of coffee? But I digress. Here comes the craft coffee movement, right? And it's just, it's a fantastic movement full of all these bullshit ideas like single origin, fair trade, all of these great like little brand labels that just let the cash register ring and, you know, let you get ass raped for all this money. Boom, the craft coffee movement comes, and now we've got single source and single origin and all this sort of stuff. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago. 
One of the things that I think is hilarious is I go over to Starbucks. And at one point, I kind of got swept up in that whole clover coffee nonsense. And I was trying the different coffees from the different regions and everything. And for a while there, they actually had Vietnamese coffee up there. I never tried it. I don't know why. I just wasn't really attracted to it. And then suddenly the Vietnamese coffee just sort of disappeared. And I'm asking myself, hmm, I wonder why. And then suddenly some news article pops up in there and decides perhaps it's time to answer LP's question. So this news article starts out with this fantastic headline. Vietnamese factory coffee caught making coffee from used batteries, dirt, rocks, and dust. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, that's the shit I drank at Hojo back when I was a kid. That had to be it because there was that distinct terroir-ass flavor of, of, of batteries in there, I'm sure. I mean, it was dirty-ass dachshund. And I'm sure that was mixed in with that whatever the dirt was. But I digress, man. So apparently what winds up happening is over in this particular place, there's a Vietnamese-run manufacturer had been caught producing low-quality coffee with harmful materials such as used batteries, dirt, rock, and dust. I mean, I'm sure it had a craft label on it, right? I'm sure it was like single-source origin from the outhouse of my neighbor or some shit like that. But it was probably in some like language that I can't possibly read. And I'm sure legally has allowed them to go ahead and say it came from, like, I don't know, some exclusive beanery or whatever. I digress, man. The Daknung police inspectors from the Department of Natural Resources Environment raided a workshop. Let's just stop right there. The fucking Department of Natural Resources and Environment. I I mean, mean, what the fuck? Dude, that's like the EPA. (laughs) So the fucking Environmental Protection Agency raids this place. So imagine it's a quiet, sunny afternoon. You're sitting there concocting your special craft coffee of some kind, whatever it's got inside of it. It's a quiet neighborhood. Perhaps you have a tasting room up front. People are enjoying your terroir, if you will, of your particular coffee. And these people kick down the door in moon suits because you're dumping radioactive waste inside of their coffee. Isn't that fucking awesome? I would have loved to have seen video of this. So they raid this place and you're probably asking yourself, well, shit, what are they there for? It turns out they're there because there's sort of like some secret ingredients, shall we say. Is that what it is? Is that what they call them? Secret ingredients? Yeah, probably. Something to that effect. Which captured the essence and terroir of this specific brand of coffee. Which, mind you, is probably the Hojo shit that I drank 12 years or 15 years or however long ago it was over on that counter and I'm fortunate to have lived. So what is in this? What are the secret ingredients, LP? Well, let's go ahead and find out. Apparently... Her secret mix, her batch, was made up from rejected coffee beans and shells from other factories that she bought at a discounted price. And then her factory, as if that wasn't bad enough, I guess it's about capturing the essence of terroir, what can I say? But her factory would then mix the beans with other materials, air quotes, right? Materials, such as dirt, rock, dust. And then before before they went ahead and they dyed that product with black powder from batteries. I mean, what the fuck? So what you're telling me is it was cheaper to pull this black powder out of batteries than just go down to the local craft store and buy some fucking food dye? Wow, this is getting intense. So you might ask yourself, this this thing, the terroir essence, this black powder from the batteries, what is this, LP? Well, let me help you with that. Turns out that this black substance in the D batteries is manganese dioxide. And according to these folks from the equivalent of the Environmental Protection Agency, the chemical compound is highly oxidant, and ingesting even the smallest trace amounts 
could result in manganese poisoning in human beings. I... Into this world. Dude, what is there to say? It's like, what is your secret ingredient? Oh, you know, what we wind up doing is first we go get some discounted shells. We put in a little bit of the essence of dachshund and all that stuff. And oh, yeah, it's not dark enough. So we just grab some shit and some leftovers that are inside of batteries. But pay it no mind, man. It's really great stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just what the fuck? Fuck you fucking fuckers. Wow. So, you know. Thinking about that, you're, you're thinking to yourself, all right, she couldn't possibly have sold any of this garbage, right? I mean, she, she, she made it, but it didn't, like, go anywhere, right? Well, that would be wrong, right, Carlos? Did she, did, did she just, like, not sell any of this stuff? No, no, no. Dude, she sold a bunch of it. She actually sold, she had shipped, just shipped three tons, probably to the Howard Johnsons. Maybe to Denny's also. We don't know. There is no, we cannot confirm or deny this. This is pure speculation on the part of LP. However, I'm sure the distinct terroir of those two places would trace back to the three tons that this bitch shipped over to somebody. So someone's consuming this crap, and she had another 12 tons sitting in the factory, air quotes, when she was raided. This is what we have to look forward to in the craft movement. And I'm sure it was all organic, right? It was organic and it was fair trade, and I'm sure it was marketed as such. And each cup of this Vietnamese coffee would have probably retailed at approximately $4.25 per cup. Of course, it would have to be done in a special machine like the Clover. And, you know, you've got to go ahead and pay extra for the manganese poisoning. I'm just saying, man. But it started to make me think of all the weird, crazy craft shit. And these fuckers that have carved niches doing this stuff, right? So, for instance, let's think more about this coffee thing. Since we're on this tangent right at the moment, I discovered some Kopi Luwaka, I guess, or, or Luwak coffee. So what is this Kopa Luwak coffee? Well, for the layman, it's called civet coffee. What is civet coffee, LP? I'm sure you're asking. Well, civet coffee is this very, very rare type of a coffee that uh, the cherries are fermented in the intestinal tract of an Asian palm civet because they'll ingest the berries and then all of their digestion will decaffeinate the coffee and effectively ferment the coffee. And then when this little Asian palm civet shits this stuff out, they have like a team of people to pick through the palm civet's shit to recoup the coffee beans. I mean, could you imagine what that's like? You're like sitting there and you're like, hey, I got corn here. But you're, um, you know. I mean, what the fuck? So you're picking through that. You're finding the corn. You're taking a look at all the leafy greens that this thing has eaten. And then somewhere in all that, after you've dug through enough of this, uh, of the shit of this stuff, you'll find these cute little berries. And then you wash them off and you package them up and you sell them for like $150 a fucking pound. And you're like thinking to yourself right now, LP, does this really happen? Yes. I have actually seen an episode on a reality show of somebody selling Asian palm civet fermented coffee beans that they shit out for 150 bucks a pound to somebody in Beverly Hills. And then the question is, did this idiot go ahead and buy them? Of course they did, man. Of course they did. You know what I'm saying? It's, I like mine. <laughs> I mean, well, of course they fucking did. And it just made me sit there and ask myself or actually reflect on all the poor vocational choices that LP has made in his life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Shame. 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 
you take a look at that insanity in my life, you know, because I'm thinking back to <laughs> black coffee, my dad, all this stuff, the craft coffee movement. Well, you know, I live over here in Denver, Colorado. That's where the home base of Faust is. It's over in Denver, Colorado. And when we think about this bullshit craft movement and all of the things that are going on, what better place to be at than the epicenter of the craft beer movement, right? <laughs> it's huge over here. It's huge. Now, you know, we talked about the Asian palm civet and how on earth or why on earth would somebody sit there and say, hey, you know what? That thing eats berries. It's shitting stuff out. Maybe we could see if there are berries inside there next to the corn in this Asian palms, uh, palm civet's shit. Why not grab that? And here, I got a better idea. Let's grind it up and let's try and drink some of this stuff. I'm sure that it couldn't possibly taste like ass. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Carlos, what do you think? Mm, no, no, no. Yeah, it couldn't possibly taste like ass. Well, we covered that. Let's talk about the beer movement over here. You know, when I was younger, I was into chemistry and I was, I was studying in the university for chemical engineering. And generally speaking, when you go into like chemical engineering, people will go one of two ways inside the class, or at least in my class. You're either manufacturing designer drugs or you're busy doing, you know, home brews and distilleries. I went the route of the home brew. And I can remember one, the first home brew kit that I had gotten, it came with a book that actually talked about the history of beer before the craft beer movement. So according to this particular book, the, the first known occurrence where, where beer was discovered was in ancient Egypt. And it kind of goes like this. Some dude walked into his granary one day and he had gone through most of his grain and what was left of his grain was sitting in a puddle of water, basically. And it had this really skanky smell. For some reason or other, he's like, you know what? Why don't we taste that water in there? Let's stop there for a second. Gentlemen, ladies, last time you went to the bathroom, you walk into a stall. There's a skanky-ass smell in there because somebody didn't flush the toilet. Are you tempted to taste the water inside there? I mean, no, no, no. that's effectively what it is. Or even better yet, the milk has gone sour in the fridge. Have you ever thought about potentially trying out the sour milk? I mean, no, no, no. No. But apparently in this day and age, prior to craft beers, hey, that water smells like shit. Must be good. Let's go ahead and have some. I don't know where the fuck this came from. That's how beer started. And of course, you know, when I was a kid, you had all the shitty beers, right? You had the king of beers, the king of piss, basically, Bush or Budweiser, whatever the fuck it was. And then you had Bush beer and, uh, you know, a couple of other ones. I think there was like Miller High Life or whatever the case may be. We didn't have no craft beers and all of that bullshit. Today we do. Now, not to take from craft beers, because I'll tell you what. Some of them that are out there are fucking amazing. I mean, do we like craft beers there, Carlos? Yeah, yeah man. We fucking love craft beer. However, we think that the craft movement may have gone off the rails a little bit here. As I'm sitting here reading through whatever it is that I'm doing in the morning, I come across this article. There are these guys over in Melbourne, Australia from Seven Cent Brewery that for some reason or other felt compelled to cultivate yeast strains from their belly button lint. <laughs> Just, I, mean, what the fuck? I don't even know what to say. Apparently these guys once made the ultimate hipster beer and it was made with kale and quinoa and chia seeds. And I mean, who the fuck's going to drink that, right? It's like, what the fuck are you thinking, man? And so they're sitting there in the brewery and they're kind of like, we should go ahead and make some spontaneously fermented beer which is sort of the Belgian way of brewing things that sees beer put in a shallow vat so that natural yeast and everything could be collected from the fermented air. And so they're running around swabbing everything. Eventually, at some point, 
they're running out of things to swab to get natural yeast strains. And then, out of nowhere, hey, why don't we see if we can go ahead and, like, swab our belly buttons and see if we can pick up some unique yeast strains inside there? I mean, who the fuck thinks this stuff up, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, right? So, you know, they went and they started swabbing their belly buttons. Next thing they knew, they found unique yeast strains inside of here. And they're like, hey, man, we could make a unique beer out of this stuff. And they're just like, wow, you know, this could be cool. So they go ahead and make some 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 beer out of this. They brew it. And their inspiration was, look, man, over at Rogales, this dude produced a beard beer. Uh, what is it? Beard beer. He was fermented with yeast taken from the brewer's beard. And it got them thinking this could be something. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, just like, uh, fuck you fucking fuckers. Dude, what are you fucking doing? This is crazy, right? They wind up doing that. They grow this stuff up. And the final result was like a Belgianish wit beer. And they decided to keep it personalized. And they're advertising it as, hey, look, this is a unique strain of beer from my belly butt that you can't get from anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, Carlos, are we going to... No, no, no. I know, man, you didn't even let me finish. I agree with you, not a fucking chance. So you ask yourself, well, how good is this beer, right? Out of this creepy, weird concern for like, hey, man, could this actually be something? Well, to offset the taste of belly buttons, the brewers added some fresh flavors, such as orange zest and coriander, along with, quote, a lot of hops. Uh-huh. Here's my philosophy. Corona always advertises, hey, man, Corona with a twist of lime. Do you know why you put that twist of lime in there? Because the Corona tastes like fucking ass. That's why. It's like, wow, this tastes like skanky shit, dude. Hey, you got some lime? Okay, now it's palatable. Doesn't mean it's good. By following that logic, you couldn't brew a beer with this yeast that didn't taste like ass. So we'll just go ahead and doctor it up with a little bit of coriander and orange and go... Hey, man, designer beer now. Look at it. It's like Blue Moon, except it's for my belly button. I mean, does that shit fucking work right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's just absolutely screwy. They're quoted as saying, you know, quite understandably, people get grossed out by the whole idea, but that didn't stop us. It all starts from that yeast cell, and as long as we maintain sterile conditions, there's no contamination. The, the fact that it came from a very dirty place doesn't really matter because it's just a pure colony of yeast. Uh, do we believe that statement, uh, Carlos? Mm -hmm, no, no, no. Are we going to go out and buy this beer, Carlos? <laughs> mm -hmm, no, no, no. Not a fucking chance. And at that point, after you've asked yourself, what the fuck, I don't know how many times, and you've just kind of been totally grossed out, you're like, it couldn't possibly get any worse, could it? Well, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> Why stop there when we can take it to this inevitable point of no return? Back over in Poland, there's a brewery known as the Order of Yoni, which uh, is in the Polish capital of Warsaw. Why make belly button beer when you could make vagina beer with the essence of hot underwear models, right? What could possibly go wrong in that? So apparently what winds up happening is this particular brewery, using high-tech microbial techniques, they isolate, examine, and prepare lactic acid bacteria from the vagina of unique women. Now what they'll do is they came up with this concept thinking that customers would love to purchase a beer where they could taste the essence of good-looking models at various pubs. And you can actually go to Catalyst Poland where it debuted in 2018. I mean, I mean, what the fuck? 
listen, I'm a man. I love a good vagina, but I'm not looking for vagina beer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It never occurred to me that I should probably swab my, you know, significant other's vagina and potentially try to raise a culture of yeast specifically for a beer that I could go ahead and make. Oh, my God. So apparently what winds up happening is uh, <laughs> there were some, some concerns initially about hygiene implications. Now, remember before we had this dude talking about you shouldn't worry about it coming from dirty places. We're cultivating a perfectly clean strain. Well, did uh, did the uh, marketing uh, seem to go ahead and put people's fears at ease and all of that sort of stuff? Mm, no, no, no. Not a chance, man. So what do they do? They turn around and say, you know what? We reassure customers that the ladies have been totally checked and they're not skanks before having smears and scientific process that they use to isolate the bacteria. Now, let me tell you something. Let's think about this for a second, right? I'm just... Shame. <laughs> Shame. 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 If I was a model that they're swabbing to go ahead and culture these yeast strains from, and I hear this statement get released, oh yeah, we go ahead and actually have them checked and make sure they're clean of venereal disease. I'd be like, what the fuck are you saying about me? Are you calling me a skank? Are you saying that I basically am just a disease-ridden woman? Holy shit, it's one of those moments. How dare you? Yeah, it's like terrible, dude. But apparently they had to put this disclaimer on, don't worry, we didn't, we're not going to pass you any sexually transmitted diseases through the beer bottle. Even <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this, man. But the best part about this is the marketing campaign and probably the best tagline that you could ever hear. The brewery's website describes the sensations customers might expect from the beer, saying, quote, Imagine the woman of your dreams, your object of desire, her charm, her sensuality, her passion. Now you can try how she tastes, feel her smell, hear her voice. Shame. 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 I hear that they're hiring a marketing. Uh, there's a, an open marketing position over, <laughs> over at this particular brewery, the Order of Yanni. But that's not really as creepy as the fucking tagline. How rapey does rapey get? No problem. The tagline for this, folks, is the secret of the beer lies in her vagina. <laughs> How dare you? That's all there is this week. There is no more. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. After all, you need to do your part to make sure that LP is an unsuitable candidate for public office. And the only way we can do that is to make sure everyone has a copy of this podcast downloaded into their listening device. I'll catch you next Wednesday with another episode of Everyday Crazy. Everyday Crazy is a weekly podcast released every Wednesday here on Anchor. The podcast is distributed and will appear across Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Don't forget to check out the companion playlist on Spotify created for each episode of Everyday Crazy. On Spotify, you can find playlists from Everyday Crazy, my Not A Radio Show Radio Show Joculation, and Voices From The Mountains. It's the mix of punk rock, satire, and comedy just the way nature intended. Just click on the Spotify link in the show notes to access all this content and LP's liked songs so you can listen, mix, match, and build your own playlists. You can also check out the Everyday Crazy podcast on SoundCloud. 
along with additional original content such as original parody and satirical commercials created by LB. Just click the link in the show notes to access all this content and check back for periodic updates. You can stay up to date with all things LP Faust by following on Twitter at FaustLP or Facebook at RealLPFaust. If the written word is more your thing, check out my blog on Steemit. Just go check out steemit.com and type in at LPFaust in the search bar. Or better yet, just leave me a message on Anchor. You can download the Anchor app, find the Everyday Crazy Show, and tap on the message button. Your message might even wind up on a future podcast. William Shakespeare once said, All the world's a stage. As we strut and fret on the stage of life, always be sure to ask yourself, why watch the show when you can be the show? <laughs>